I'm Angelina. Hey, I'm Esther. Hi, I'm Katie, and welcome to the Orton Gillingham podcast, where we chat about all things multisensory education, dyslexia, and ultimately how we can bring literacy to everyone. Kristen Cossover currently serves as the Elementary Dyslexia RTI Specialist for the Bentonville School District in Arkansas, where she is passionate about instilling students and teachers with the skills and resources needed in order to grow to their full potential. She has taught in special education, written and provided training in the science of reading, and achieved her certification as a certified academic language therapist, structured literacy dyslexia specialist, and Orton-Gillingham dyslexia specialist. She earned her Master's of Arts in teaching from the University of Arkansas and is certified in Arkansas to teach pre-K through fourth grade, ELL K through 12, special education, pre-K through fourth, and dyslexia specialist K through 12. Welcome, Kristen Cassover. Thank you for having me. Hi, Kristen. So glad that you could join us tonight. Me too. Hi, Kristen. How are you? <laughs> Doing well. How are y'all? <laughs> Very good. Very good. Cold in Michigan, unfortunately. So Kristen, what are some of the inclusive practices your district uses to support students with learning differences in a general education setting? In my district, our number one goal is that students can participate in gen ed and with their peers as much as possible and then meet their full potential. And so to do that, we want to ensure that students have access to the general education curriculum as much as possible. And one of the things that we've done district wide is allow the principals to look at their individual schedules and then make sure that that schedule allows for targeted support for students as well as for students to participate in the general curriculum setting. So that meaning our support staff schedules sometimes start first and so they plug in where students could be pulled out of the day through small group instruction or those parts of the day where students aren't being pulled out of the core curriculum where new learning is not taking place and then we kind of fill in from there on the schedule. So our intervention specialists and our special education teachers, they kind of get the first priority so that our students who do need that pullout time um, can get that without being pulled out from the gen ed setting. And then beyond that, we target the essential standards um, for our students whenever we are doing it, having intervention support or for special education services or different things so that students are really, we're really targeting the support and the um, curriculum needs that they have in order to make, um, make the gains that they need in order to be in the classroom as much as possible. We also try really hard to scaffold the support within, whenever they're in the classroom. And our district has done a wonderful job about providing those scaffolded supports to all students, not necessarily only the students who have special needs. So um, one example of that is Google Read and Write is um, the district has purchased for everybody. That way they all have those supports, access to the support on the computer that they might need that, um, that program can read the text to students or they can speak into the program, speak into the computer and it types what they have to say as well as having a picture dictionary and highlighting tools. It's a really cool, a really cool um, extension, Google Chrome extension, and all students have access to it. So the teachers just kind of use it, they use it in their instruction as well. So anytime we can do any inclusive practices like that where, um, where we're targeting students' needs and supporting all learners makes for our students with learning differences be able to um, participate and thrive in an environment. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you that if you saw a carryover into the gen ed um, by using those techniques with special ed kids in the gen ed setting. So uh, that's that's awesome that yeah, everybody's getting a chance. Yeah. Even our AP classes um, and the teachers of um, one would say some of our 
highest learners, they use the same tools in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. I use it in my in, in my work. So mm -hmm. I think it's just helping students to set them up for success as they grow and mm -hmm. as they um, move out of education as well. These are tools that they're going to have access to all the time. So why mm -hmm. not teach them and provide that support in the classroom as well? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's often overlooked that, you know, uh, we just assume that kids in a gen ed setting don't need don't need these tools and often they benefit just as much. So that's great. You're cognizant I, of that. Yeah. I personally use Grammarly all the time. So yeah. I, I think it's important to show students how to use it so that they can be successful in getting a job or yep. um, as they go into their career in the future as well. Yep. Excellent. And you do really have a nice progressive model for that inclusion model, uh, more so than a lot of other districts that I've ever worked with or been in myself. So it's really nice to hear actually. <laughs> It's definitely mm -hmm. our, our goal, and we try to have everything kind of pointing towards that goal, whether that be our RTI structure or the data that we collect and that we monitor for our teachers or the report cards that we're reporting on. That way, it doesn't feel like extra. That's one mm -hmm. thing, as I support teachers in the district, trying, trying to make everything feel like it's going in the same direction and not just piling on extra things for them to do. That's great. It's wonderful to hear the, the amount of support and the connection between general education intervention and special education. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, in Michigan, we're just starting to get dyslexia laws, and we're hopefully going to be seeing some of that progression as well. It's definitely taken, taken time. Um, this is my sixth year in this role, and we started with a basic RTI structure. We didn't start from ground zero, but we did have to change the way we were doing a lot of things, even in core. So the dyslexia law and then the Science of Reading, um, the RISE Act helped as well, but I feel like we're, we're moving in the right direction now. For sure. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. It's wonderful. So thinking about the science of reading, this is something that we're really, really devoted to as far as, you know, our courses that we teach. And, you know, we teach a course called Science of Reading. And thanks to you who helped us develop that as well. Why do you use those principles of the science of reading to educate all the students in your district? What are some benefits of, of knowing the science of reading to teaching? One of the key principles that I think is often forgotten in an in a RTI model or MTSS model is core instruction. And science the science of reading or research tells us that if you use good teaching practices for all students, not just the ones that may have the um, biggest needs, but for all students, you're going to catch a lot of those students who may have otherwise fallen through the cracks. Um, so if you just think about dyslexia, 20%, um, some research shows 20% of students have those characteristics of dyslexia. But if we just teach the skills, um, if we just teach reading in our traditional sense, um, that Nate shows us that only about 40 to 60 percent of our kiddos are proficient nationally. And so by using the science of reading to teach all students, you're going to have the bigger bang for your buck and you're not going to have those kiddos slipping through the cracks. I think that RTI, whenever you look at the research of RTI and whenever it works, it's because they had really good core instruction and they use science of reading in order to provide that support for students. And I feel like sometimes if we just kind of take for granted students have been in class, so therefore they've been receiving good quality instruction but not all programs are actually developed based on the science of reading. And then implementing those programs also, it, it takes educator training and support and making sure that we're always going back to that. I know as we've been, we have a project going on in the district right now where we're working on extra scaffolded support and how to provide that support for students who do get pulled from the, from the gender curriculum. And it's really easy sometimes to make really fun activities. We always have to go back to the standards and what are the standards telling us? What do the students have to have to, in order to be successful? 
not only at this grade, but at the next grade and having that vertical alignment in our standards and in our curriculum. And so we always go back to that. What do the standards say? What do the students need to be successful? And then what does science tell us is the best way to teach those skills so that students can be successful? I know whenever we talk to teachers, the one thing they always ask for is time. And so we try to reiterate that you can gain time back in your day if you use those principles and the science of reading in order to support your students because you're not going to have to be teaching that same skill over and over. You use what, how, we, how we know students learn best the first time, then you kind of do gain yourself some time on the back end, even if it so, doesn't seem like that on the front end. Yes. Kristen, can you elaborate a little bit more on what you mean uh, by the science of reading? Um, and where do you, where are your resources? I mean, what what is your big resource? Who's your guru? Um, sure. You know, uh, what constitutes the science of reading? Um, so whenever we talk about the science of reading, it's those tried and true research, um, research practices that we know based on um, the, the National Reading National. Panel's report, the <laughs> National Reading Panel report, based on that, and some of those that they say are settled science. Uh, we utilize Scarborough's rope and the decoding times language comprehension equals reading comprehension and really honing in on what does that mean. So whenever we're looking at decoding, especially with Scarborough's rope, it's a really good visual for how to break apart what all goes into the decoding. So phonological processing, fluency of the phonics skills, those foundational components, and then the language comprehension, background knowledge, vocabulary, teaching the scaffolding those skills so that students can be successful. It's important to narrow down the area of need for each student, but then also not to forget about it in core. So making sure that if we're expecting a student to learn the main idea of text, that we're teaching them how to get there, and we're doing it within the context of science and social studies or those literacy skills. Not just giving them different books, but really working on a, a unit at a time so that they can be successful and have that background knowledge and vocabulary to be able to tackle the text and understand it. Excellent. And I think it's really interesting kind of going back to what you said about the RTI model because you've done so much with it but making sure that tier one has such a strong core component. I think there's a big misconception out there about this is what core will get. This is what tier two will get. This is what tier three will get. And when you set it up like that from the start, you're not being proactive. You're being reactive at that point. And I think you guys are doing it right where you're being proactive. You have that really solid core tier one instruction to head off some of those tier two instruction and groups. Mm -hmm. And um, I just wanted to point that out because I think there is a big misconception out there about how, like what we use for tier one as opposed to tier two and the gains that kids can make when there's consistency across mm -hmm. those tiers. Yeah. And having that strong core is so, so very important because you find that a lot of the programs that are used were intended for tier two, but they're needed in tier one. They just need to be modified for the gen ed population. So right. I think um, something you just said there is important as well is that there has to be a common link and a common reason why you're going from tier one to tier two and then potentially tier three. Oftentimes, any RTI model you look at, they'll say if 80% of your kiddos aren't successful at the core, then you need to relook at the core. But they don't actually talk about what does that mean whenever you're relooking at core. It's not that you don't have teachers that aren't trying their hardest and doing their best and doing everything they know to do. But going back to does this, is the way we're instructing supported in science? And if not, is there something out there? Is there a better way to teach this to all of our students and to relook at what all of our students need to be successful? Right. I think you're doing it right. And, you know, mm -hmm. I used to teach in the classroom and I don't think that was the thought behind. Well, maybe I should just speak to the district that I was teaching in, but it wasn't the thought behind that. It was very separated and it really needs to be a fluid mm -hmm. um, consistency between all of the tiers. Mm -hmm. And, and, it, and that's that proactive because, piece. Right. And not all kiddos look the same. So your kids in tier two 
aren't all carbon copies of one another that you right. can just put it oh you're a tier two kid so therefore you go to tier two program that's not i mean we have to look at kids individually and see what their specific needs are our tier one and tier two really do kind of bleed together it's yeah. hard sometimes to separate them because um we we want them to be working on those essential standards and be working towards the grade level curriculum our goal is not to ship them off to somebody else to get their intervention but to really hone in on what those skills are and make sure that those skills are the ones that we're targeting for our essential standards and work cards and that it all really meshes together nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're doing it right. Yep. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, fine. <laughs> we still have, we still have a ways to go, but we're yeah. like, we're, we've got the end in mind. Well, I think you're above the curve in a, you know, in many ways, like from other districts that we've seen from where I've taught, I think you're doing it right. I appreciate that. We're trying. In some, you know, we have learning centers, as I'm sure you know, in Southeast mm-hmm. Michigan. And, you know, sometimes it's, I kind of felt like some parents felt like, well, my kid is typically developing, learning how to read it right, like a champion. However, we've got some kiddos in the room with some learning disabilities, some struggles. And some of these parents would sometimes feel a little flustered, like, oh man, my kid is at level or advanced, but, oh, we're doing this maybe, you know, like end of the phonics or you know they felt like it was a little below kind of their child's level so to say do you guys do any sort of maybe parent outreach or like explaining about kind of how you're you're catering to all kids not just specific ones that are maybe falling a little behind each of our buildings in the district takes this on a little bit differently the makeup of their parents are a little bit different and so they they gear it towards their building and their um, parents but we have websites are intervention and our we try to be transparent and informative of with for our parents and explain what data we utilize in order to place students in different interventions or whether their students are being successful or not we do have other supports for students who might be gifted and talented that's that's another area that they that we can utilize but we also try really hard to explain to parents that even if your student is on grade level and performing at grade level it doesn't mean they can't go deeper in those skills so as far as providing that information to parents we have different um out uh, outreach nights each of the buildings have those and depending on what you know the makeup of their building and what's going on and what their focus is they do have those so that parents can come and learn more about what's going on in the school and then how their their kids needs are being met yeah and a parent outreach i mean that's so important two parent night or two a year so one a semester at least and I know I go to a lot of them. Some of them will have station type stations in order for the parents to, hey, I want to learn more about math curriculum and how you're teaching it now. Or I want to learn more about dyslexia or your RTI structure or gifted and talented. So that, that's a successful model I've seen. They also have parent nights at the beginning of the year so that the, the teachers can go through, this is what our curriculum looks like. This is what your child's going to be learning. And then we try really hard to differentiate instruction. So if you have a student in your class that is still working on foundational skills, that's where their instruction is going to be targeted but here's some extension activities that other students can be doing. So the small group time and the small group instruction, that's the time where our students get pulled out if they do need tier three or special education services. But that's also the time where teachers can meet with students and then ex- expand on their on a student's learning and go deeper. Not necessarily push them onto the next grade level's curriculum or next grade level standards, but go deeper in that standard for students. And, and that can be a hard thing to explain to parents. I think that's kind of maybe what Angelina was getting at, because if they don't have the education background, you know, mm-hmm. they're in business, they're, they have some kind of other background. If I walked into a meeting or something and my kid, they had background about my kid and it all had to do with business, I'd be lost and go way over my head. So bringing it down to a very simplistic way of explaining it to these are the foundations skills that'll get them to this point, but they have to have these solid in place first. So whenever you're talking about foundational skills for all students, if you're talking about a kindergarten first, second grader, 
Oftentimes, those students can mask their difficulties because they may have been exposed to books and they're, they're just picking up on language pretty readily. Where you don't find out that they had trouble is until fifth or sixth grade. And so targeting those skills and assessing not like nonsense words where they're decoding um, not real words to see if they have they have the skills. Can they, can they read a real word, but then can they read it? I always say you're going to separate your men from your boys whenever you can read the nonsense words. That means they really have it. And that tells us later on that those students are going to be able to read multi-syllable words because multi-syllable words are just made up of nonsense syllables. And so a lot of times students may be able to understand um, the comprehension side of language or even kind of mask their decoding skills. And if they don't have a solid foundation in decoding, it sometimes doesn't pull up or show up until middle school. And the teachers in middle school typically are not equipped to teach foundational reading skills. They aren't, they aren't trained for that, just like I'm mm -hmm. not trained to teach theme. That's, mm -hmm. not, that's not my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. So trying to make sure those kids have a good foundation early and ensure that those skills are solid before we move them on to the next grade is, is really important. And not mm -hmm. to assume that they have them just because they're able to do a skill higher. Really yeah, they have evidence. so many compensation skills up until right. that point because they're super intelligent. Right. Mm -hmm. Or their spelling may be the, the part that's affected. Mm -hmm. That kind know. of reminds me of that simple view of reading. You know, they can be really great decoders, but if they're not comprehending it, Mm -hmm. then they don't have it, you know? And so a lot of times we look at one piece of the equation and, uh, and not the whole thing. And, and that's, yeah, that's, that's right. dangerous to do. <laughs> well, for many years, we looked at that ultimate goal, like you said, is comprehension. So we wanted our kiddos to get to be able to comprehend. And so we assumed that if they could comprehend, then they could also read. And that, that, that doesn't work. No, that exactly. Really Just like you said, too, if they can decode, doesn't necessarily mean they can comprehend. Mm hmm I, for many minutes, this is my second year only being, getting to focus on elementary, which is wonderful. But up until then, I worked, majority of my time was in junior high, high school, middle school, junior high, and high school, because the teachers aren't trained to teach it, mm -hmm. um, to teach those foundational reading skills. And so I was having to go in and help support our teachers who, they can teach comprehension all mm -hmm. day and mm -hmm. teach kiddos how to comprehend. But whenever they're struggling with that foundational decoding, our language, to someone who's not trained, doesn't look. Regular, right. And it is hard. You want right. to say, well, just sound it out. Look at the word. It looks sound it out, but it yeah. doesn't work like that. No. Well, it's, no. And if they have their teacher preparatory programs and you're supposed to be a middle school teacher, mm -hmm. that is not the focus of no. your education no. as a teacher even, going into middle school. And no. I'll say it wasn't even the focus of mine as a no. teacher going into elementary school and special education. Wow. I no. Until I was first year teacher. And, and not even as a program. special educator no. either in middle school, high school, you don't learn those foundational skills. You learn no. about when it's sixth grade and above that it's comprehension. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge learning curve for teachers too. Mm -hmm. I had that was no the first about the syllable types until I went through a training program where I was teaching in the curriculum. So mm -hmm. these districts don't have a curriculum to teach it either. I mean, I don't know how anyone would know how to do no. it no. without no. a good curriculum and someone to you don't know until you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a rude awakening because I was a high school teach English gen ed teacher. And I it, it didn't take more than a couple days to realize and to, this thought to jump in my head. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how to teach these kids how to read. Nobody ever taught me that. I don't even know what to do here. And so uh, so that is that was true, you know, 100 years ago when I just first started <laughs> teaching. But uh, uh, hopefully it's getting a little better now. But I, it doesn't sound like too much better. So. That's something well, I can we need remember to my first year teaching as I was teaching super smart kids in my special education classroom and they weren't making progress on our assessments that we were giving and I was teaching my little heart out and so I signed up for a training to teach science of reading basically a, a program 
And I can remember driving down the highway and Joel Bikating words. Why didn't I know this? <laughs> I remember I doing that too. Yeah. Why didn't no one teach me yeah. this before? It actually works. It's My so life would have been so much easier if I would have yeah. known how to actually read. <laughs> I have to memorize everything. It's incredible. Just a five-day training. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, in our Brain Spring, our Orton-Gillingham course. I mean, I, I taught fifth grade. The majority of my students one year did not know how to read. I was shocked. I felt ineffective. I felt like I couldn't reach my kiddos. I just wanted to do the best I possibly could. And oh my goodness, five days. <laughs> Yeah, and that brings it full circle of where the focus needs to really be in tier one instruction. It needs to have that solid, solid program and instruction in that tier one because you just Mm -hmm. don't know. There's so many kids out there Mm -hmm. who will do so well up until that point, Angelina, when you are in like fifth or sixth grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have great memories. They can memorize things in elementary school, but then once you get to secondary now their vocabulary is coming from greek and latin roots and they're it's getting a lot trickier and um Mm -hmm. they cannot rely on their memories anymore that's why parents come to you and say what happened my kid was getting straight a's until fourth grade and then fourth grade happened and and now they're working on this this cvc story (laughs) what is going on and i can see the frustration of a parent not understanding that yeah i I can totally get that mm -hmm. yeah it's incredible, though, when you see maybe a high school student given the chance to rewind and go back. Oh, my goodness. Finally, I'm learning what these vowel sounds are. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I didn't know, you know, I had that weakness. Mm-hmm. That's what it's been. Oh, well, we're all instructors and in teaching these courses. And don't you hear that all the time from teachers? Like, why didn't I ever learn this? Mm-hmm. How come nobody ever taught me this stuff? I, you know, we and all I was one of them too. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I and I was too. elementary. Yeah, that's, so that's the difference yeah. too. It's not just you know for middle school and high school teachers where mm-hmm. that's really not the focus. You know, mm-hmm. when I had my first group of students, I mm-hmm. they were like, "Well, have them sound it out." I'm like, "I don't even know how to do that." <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I, I it was never taught the basics yeah. of all of the reading instruction, the syllable types, open, close, nothing no, like that. No. I can do a really good picture walk. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh my gosh, the picture walk. <laughs> Would your school have been doing all of these things if not for the dyslexia legislation? You know what I mean? That's, mm, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, we probably wouldn't just mm-hmm. because it was the catalyst that created the inertia in order to push us mm-hmm. to where we needed to be. Mm-hmm. So in Arkansas, we have the dyslexia law first. And I think it was really eye-opening Luckily here in my district, we had already jumped off. Like I started my certification to be an academic language therapist three years prior to the dyslexia law. So I already had that. And so whenever this position became available, I reached out and applied and became the dyslexia specialist. I already knew the research. And so it made it a step. I think I feel like we were a little bit ahead of the curve because everyone else was trying to figure out what is the dyslexia law, but what does this even mean? And they were back mm-hmm. to our previous conversation of, well, my kids are fine. Like, if you look at them, they can comprehend. I don't need to teach that way. That's for kids that have a disability. And so we jumped in with both feet and kind of said we, we already knew the science a little bit and got a really good program, adopted phonics first for our intervention program. And then shortly thereafter, then in, in Arkansas, when they realized that we had, I think they already knew, which is why the dyslexia law came to be, but... Whenever we realized that we had a lot of students that we were missing, no, they didn't. They weren't the dyslexia where they're the, I don't want to say the worst or the worst, but they weren't the, the fall in there. between, right? like they're that not, great area. That gap. Mm-hmm. So they realized that we needed to be using the science of reading with all students. And so they had the right to read act with 
where we have to use a science, uh, a curriculum that's approved by the State Department in the science of reading, and all teachers have to go through science of reading training, a six-day training process, in order to teach, to learn the science of reading and then implement the skills because we weren't taught it, and you know, we didn't we weren't taught it in college, and so mm -hmm. without us, you didn't have a program that was based in the science of reading, and college didn't teach you the science of reading. How would you know? Mm -hmm. And so Arkansas did a. I'm very proud of the laws that they put into place in order to kind of give that push for districts to move in that direction and have that goal in mind that we have to use the science of reading and we have to use the principles that we're learning in in the RISE training or in the, in the science of reading training in order to implement in the classroom. And so it gave a nice push to push yeah. us in the right direction. Well, and they're also very, very lucky to have you because you were ahead of the game in your certification with the therapy level and thinking about this ahead of the time. And a lot of districts were put in a place where the cart was put before the horse, but they right. just so happen to have a specialist right on staff. They should be thanking their lucky stars. They have you <laughs> yeah, for they sure. Already, they provided the training within the district. There's three cohorts of us have already, had already gone through. And I was lucky enough to already work with students for three years and shouldn't probably be saying this out loud, but we, we did it in our RTI structure as well, where I just, extra kiddos hey you're showing these signs i have extra spots um and so they were we were already starting to see the benefits of mm -hmm. providing this instruction to our students even in our rts structure not just our students especially well that was the right thing to do anyway so you can say that out loud yeah. because that, that's what it was designed to be and you were kind of the person who understood it for the way that it was supposed to you know be implemented so yeah, they're very lucky to have you. My goodness. <laughs> looks like we're all moving to Bentonville, Arkansas. <laughs> Let's go. All right. The Griswolds are coming in. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are one of the fastest growing school districts. And we, we gain about a thousand kids a, a year. Wow. How many are in your, uh, how many are in your school district to date? Um, well, Do you know? With COVID, a lot of kids have gone home to school, but we have about 18,000, 19,000. <laughs> we are basically opening a new school every year. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that, That's rapid. From the year before, if you had 18,000, 19,000 one year, We're gaining about and then only 17. Yeah. God, that's... That doesn't count the kids who are, are moving away, but we don't have, we're, we're growing by... Wow. Say 800 kids a year. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Well, you guys are really the, the trailblazers in this, this science. They really are. Oh, All we're right. so happy that you said yes Appreciate and that you were, you know, you're so informative and nice to have yeah. on. And oh, we can't thank you enough for doing this. Yeah. Really. I love Brain Spring. I like working with y'all. Well, we love you too. We all love working we with like y'all. We like pioneers. <laughs> I am definitely that. I love push the envelope anytime I can. All right. Yeah. It's awesome. Good deal. Especially for the greater good of the students. Right. Yes, 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 yes. Awesome. Well, thank you all. Thank it's you. been fun. I really appreciate Kristen coming on and I really respect what she's doing. She's a leader in the in this whole push for equitable education for kids with dyslexia. I think that it's inspirational to see what they're doing in their district. They're doing it right. They're really being innovative and they're really expecting their teachers to the teachers are are stepping up. I mean, they're they're being trained and they're being, you know, expected to put lots of hours into, into training and learning about dyslexia and how to, how to best teach them. And they're very, when we, when we work with those teachers, they're very fun to, to teach because they're so knowledgeable and I learned from them. They're really doing an excellent job. I hope that, I mean, that's the model, I think. Uh, yeah. And I when think, I heard that Kristen was coming on, I was super excited because not only do I think her district and what she's doing uh, they're doing it right like what you said but she's such a wealth of knowledge mm -hmm. she 
she likes to do research for fun. Mm -hmm. And I can mm -hmm. joke and I kind of made fun of her the last time we met. And, and she's like, I'm a self-proclaimed research nerd. Like she loves doing <laughs> it, but she's so knowledgeable and it makes her ahead of the curve in that way. So Absolutely. kind of picking her brain, I was, I was excited to hear that she was going to be on the show. Yeah. She's so humble and that it's, it's, it's amazing what she's, what, what they've all accomplished really. Since They're doing it right. They're a good model. Yep. And, yep. and you go to other districts and. A lot of districts are doing really well and they're doing mm -hmm. really great things. Mm -hmm. But in this specific thing that we're talking about, they're doing it right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Tier one, we've got so many kids that um, may be unidentified of having dyslexia or any sort of reading difficulty. They're not only dealing with, you know, coming to school every day and picking up and learning the material, but they may have deficiencies in their diet. They may have some sort of sensitivity they're dealing with. Their tummy might hurt. They may have ADD, ADHD, undiagnosed. They may have a classroom that's super distracting yeah. and they can't focus. I mean, my goodness, how many kids um, miss so much material in tier one just for those reasons alone? Or they're tired, they've got stuff going on at home. There's just- I had a professor one time that said, you know, kids come to school with a backpack and we don't know what's in their backpack. Of course, she wasn't talking about the literal backpack, but we don't know what's in their backpack. We don't know if that kid's got a toothache or- if that yes. kid doesn't feel good, or if that kid didn't have breakfast, or if that kid's parents are fighting, or a million, million things could go wrong. And yeah. um, so we don't know what they're, what they're coming to school with. All of that affects learning. You know, everybody's heard the, uh, the iceberg, you know, metaphor that- I don't think I've heard that. You know, the iceberg? Um, no. You know, an iceberg, and, and, the, I, and oh, need be, oh. I need to be showing you pictorially, but I, uh, you only see the tip of it, you know. Dude, and, when you said iceberg, I immediately thought iceberg lettuce. And I was like, <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that lettuce, you know. I'm that obviously hungry. That crunchy um, stuff. <laughs> oh, man. So anyway. I, get, I get what you're saying. Yes, yeah. I know what you mean. And we all know that what about RTI and that that's mm -hmm. the whole reason why we do RTI is because if you take it to the classroom and do it in with everybody, you know, you'll cut down on those referrals. Kids are referred to special ed sometimes when they don't really need to be it's just oh. that they're not being taught what they need to be taught in the classroom. And so, and oh, so man, I experienced yeah. that a lot though, like what you're saying, especially in elementary, because in the beginning, it seems like it's hard to separate who developmentally is going to get it. And then who is really struggling mm -hmm. and, when you're comparing it to other students and you might have a really high class, all of a sudden you have like 20 referrals and then they're all going through at the same time. And you're like, what happened to the lowest 10th percentile? We have like right. half of first grade here. That doesn't right. make any sense. Exactly. Yeah. Because no one knew the other schools were doing it. Right. And yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And providing it to everybody. So it heads mm -hmm. off a lot of those mm -hmm. compensation skills that she talks about. That's how those kids slip through the cracks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, now everybody knows about making accommodations and, and doing stuff like that. But, you know, can you imagine years ago, you were in the classroom and you were slipping through the cracks all the time. I mean, mm -hmm. they just didn't have those things in place. Yeah. Um, so right. Well, and the teacher that I worked with, who I, I should be completely transparent here, was also my best friend. So we co-taught, we co I was a special educator and she was a gen ed teacher. And I think she just had such a good mindset for RTI. I didn't even realize it. I don't even think she realized it at the moment, but she would do alternative seating and she mm -hmm. would do 
like she didn't care if kids stood up, sat down, did whatever. Mm-hmm. And just as far as that multi-sensory went, she would have five different things of multi-sensory components, like carpet squares, or we would have sand trays, dry erase boards, something very simple, magnet boards, but we had like sets of five. So everybody got something different. She didn't want anyone to feel like this was intended for me. So everybody got it. And then they just rotated those items. Mm -hmm. And she was so ahead of the curve in that way. I don't even think she realized how much she was actually doing. That probably made many kids not have to be referred. I mean, who knows what she, you know, that's, that's great. That's cool. Yeah. And she's still a teacher. She's amazing. But she's always coming up with things for her classroom like that to kind of meet the needs of any student who might need it, Mm -hmm. you know, without knowing it. So I think like that being flexible too. today, I was, I forget, I was watching a video, I believe of a teacher uh, using our finest first program during the pandemic. She's got some kids doing virtual learning, some kids in the classroom. I can't even imagine all the things that she's balancing. And, you know, you could tell she was giving herself space, giving herself credit and being flexible with the situation and, you know, doing her best and creative and mm-hmm. having a little fun with it too you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and I feel like, yeah, you have to give yourself a grace period here too. But Mm -hmm. I also think those are the same teachers who are highly empathetic to their students who understand there's probably something there that I'm not getting. So trying everything they can to, Mm -hmm. and I know most teachers are like that. And right now they're just busting at the seams with all their tricks. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I think having that empathetic, mm-hmm. you know, value is what makes the difference mm-hmm. too. Yeah, for sure. That's important. Thanks for listening to our conversation with Kristen Kosselberg. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. 